I'd like to welcome you to this episode of the Frank DiMazio Leadership Podcast. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't already and leave a review on iTunes. And if you can, share it with your own social media following about the podcast to help it get further out there to people that might want to listen to what we're talking about with the Frank DiMazio Leadership Podcast. In light of all that is happening in history right now, more specifically the plague that we have been facing in the world in the last number of weeks, but beyond that, that being the beginning of a thought process that will go way beyond just the uh, historical event that's happened in the last few weeks or few months. I'd like to frame in a subject that I think would be of interest to every listener and people that are already asking the question. And that subject has to do with revival and the setting for revival and the prerequisites of revival are all of great question right now. And I think that's a uh, good questioning and people should be bringing up some ideas of revival or returning to God and what that means for us in our nation, America and Canada and Europe and around the world. I'd like to actually talk about three words that are interlocked together. Those words are Renaissance, Reformation, Revival, slash Awakenings, as awakenings sometimes are used in a synonymous way to talk about the revivals that have taken place in history. I'm going to frame what I want to say about revival by framing in the history that's behind many of the revivals and how we in our nation are also wanting to experience, not only here in our nation but around the world, a revival or an awakening of the Holy Spirit in people. The Renaissance was a time period that I'm going to refer to, and I'm going to actually refer to the pre-Renaissance time period, because that time period is a time period that had a historical plague. It had its own crisis, and that historical plague took out millions of people. For those who know their history, I recognize the terminology called the Black Death or the Black Plague uh, back in 1347 that moved uh, actually from China to uh, the shores of Italy and right through Italy into all the places of Europe. This time period was known for its uh, death and its challenges that affected so many millions of people. Uh, The Euro-Asia killing, they estimated to be about 75 to 200 million people. Now, nobody really understands or can even grasp what a plague does when there's no medicines and hospitals ready for a plague, as in the 13-1400s, when the Black Plague moved through the nations of the world and took millions of lives. This great time period, uh, called the Dark Ages and a dark period in history, and obviously one of the most challenging time periods in all of history, The responders to this time period is where I want to start. 
Okay, they had a plague. They had death. They had suffering. They had towns wiped out. They had cities closed. They had governments change. Everything about that society during the 13th, 14th, and 15th century were to be greatly affected by this. And they would actually end up changing so many things because of this particular plague. The great thinkers at that time and the people that responded to the plague is something that I'm trying to put my uh, hands around for you and I as we think through Renaissance and we think through uh, revival and reformation and awakenings and those things that would come. Usually in any kind of a crisis, you have response from the great painters and the artists who will reflect in their painting that time period where we have during the plague some of the greatest painters in the world of history that uh, painted the suffering and the death and everything to do with this time period. And if you look up any of the great artists of the 13th, 14th, and 15th century time period, you will find the art that depicts what's going on in this particular suffering uh, century and centuries that took millions of people. Uh, the Triumph of Death, one of the paintings that was called, and uh, the suffering, the dilemma, the outspoken anger, uh, the disillusionment with God, uh, the disillusionment with the church, all are depicted in the paintings of that time period. Even some of the nursery rhymes or children rhymes that we even use today were actually written in response to that time period. One that would be well-known would be the nursery rhyme about Ring Around the Rosie. How many of us have used that, heard that uh, particular little nursery rhyme, children rhyme, about Ring Around the Rosie, a pocket full of posies, ashes, ashes, we all fall down. But you might not know that that particular uh, children's uh, poetry or rhyme was written during the plague. And the ring around the rosy refers to the red circles and rash common to some of the plagues during that time. The posies represent different flowers and herbs people use to war off the disease or to war off the odor of the disease. And the ashes and ashes falling down was to mimic the sneezing and the eventual dying from the disease uh, that was plaguing the towns and the cities of that day. And so one of the rhymes that was written and one of the dances that occurred was this particular little children's rhyme that we have carried on. But it was birthed in a time of crisis and a time of a horribleness where the death in a society was into the millions. The writers always reflect. Uh, the historians, the theologians, the philosophers, uh, the thinkers of a day will always reflect on a crisis. Obviously, the roots and the values that they have held before the crisis begin to be reflected in the crisis. And so as they write, they're writing from a framework, a value system, a way of seeing life and culture and God and history and all the things that would go under their particular mindset for writing something. The writers during the uh, 1300-1400 Black Death Plague, they struggle to make sense of the plagues, as our writers today are struggling to make sense of all the world's suffering. They struggled to make sense of the plagues, and the death toll of the millions was overwhelming. 
After a while, they could not write or explain any of it because it kept growing. It became such a massive amount of deaths, piles of bodies in towns. Whole families were wiped out. Towns that were once packed with people were emptied and cities and fields were no longer taken care of by anybody and uh, the world had come to a very dark time, a disease that had no borders. Uh, this disease uh, they called a manifold wickedness uh, and they watched it destroy their life and their culture. Uh, ships from China carried sailors to trade routes with this plague, and that's why it spread so quickly throughout the nations of the world, because it was in the in the uh, silk line of the ships, and as they moved to the different uh, places and cities, the sailors would uh, carry this plague without knowing it in their breath, their breathing, and everything that happened around them. Uh, they did not know they were carriers, so the trade route became the carrier for the plague killing large numbers of people by just breathing the air alone. Gifted intellect struggled to comprehend how this could happen to mankind. Of course, they all turned to their own way of finding answers. They turned to experts on astrology, astronomy, medicine, doctors, cures, different kinds of cures. They turned to self-isolation, and they had travel bands to try to help fight this particular battle with it spreading so quickly. Uh, they had guards that were placed at city gates. Uh, and many people during this time period turned to heavy drinking and violence. Many also turned to religion and church. But that in itself became somewhat of a problem as the plague spread. We always have a response to crisis. Our response to crisis always comes out of a value system, a mindset, a belief system. And so it was then, so it is now. The church also had a response to this plague. Christian Europe, the Roman Catholic Church that was the broadest uh, religious system of that day, explained the plague as God punishing the sins of the people and asking people to repent and turn to God. This they did with great fervor, especially at the beginning of the uh, plague, in all the towns and cities and churches, and the priests went everywhere. But something happened that they did not really prepare for or have any uh, strategy as to what they would do if this would occur. And what occurred is that many of the priests died. And as they went from city to city, Many of the priests died. The monasteries became a breeding ground for the plague. And so many hundreds and thousands of priests died during the plague. And so that caused people to lose faith in the church because if the priest, who was supposed to be the righteous person and the person who was close to the church and the church was the protector and the church would build a hedge around their religious leaders, and if those religious leaders could die, then there was no God in heaven protecting anybody, and the church was not a safe place. And so the conclusion of society is that the church is not a safe place. And so the church, in proclaiming uh, repentance, would remove uh, the plague, lost a lot of their reputation. 
they lost their method. They lost hope with people. People lost hope with the church. Faith in the church was shaken to the core because the message of the church was flawed. And as people did repent by the thousands, the whole cities and towns would repent. And still the plague would move through and kill thousands of the people. People lost faith in God. They lost faith in the church. They lost faith in leaders. And because of that, the whole nation and nations were turning to themselves and other gods and other theories and anger and disillusionment. All these things became uh, very dominant during the plague. Plagues were a sign for some people, as they began to push it, a sign of Christ's coming. And they used the book of Revelation, very much like what people do in crises in our nation and other nations of the world. They always go to the book of Revelation. And they would go to the book of Revelation during the plague of the 13-1400s, and they would use the four horsemen, uh, the pestilence, war, famine, and death. And they would talk about the four horsemen that were prerequisites to the coming of Christ. And so the pestilence and the war and the famine and the death that is coming upon the nation is because the coming of Christ is very near. And that also struck fear in people. And again, people turned to Christ, turned to God, turned to the message, but nothing happened. People kept dying. And again, people lost faith in the church. They lost faith in God. And they lost faith in this flawed message that the church would send out in an extreme response to the plague and the crisis they were experiencing. The priests died in such great numbers that the church had replaced them with a much lower level of priests. Almost anybody could serve in the priesthood at that time because they had uh, hundreds and thousands of lesser qualified priests that was put in to carry out uh, the bids of the church and the mess of the church was also a flawed strategy because these priests even did worse. Uh, they were confused. Uh, they didn't have authority. Uh, they didn't understand scripture. Uh, many times they were not even believers in the Catholic Church or God. They were people that were given a robe and told to go do the things they were supposed to do for the church, but the church was suffering. Now, the historical impact uh, of the plagues upon the church uh, and upon culture and upon people thinking uh, was monumental. There was a shift going on that nobody could stop, and nobody knew what, where it was going to end or how this would all come to an end. And this particular plague lasted for a very long time, and it resurfaced actually in uh, several other centuries, right up through to the 20th century, uh, there was a resurfacing of crises and plagues and flus and things like this. And the church had to keep responding, either to serve the sick and the dying or to proclaim judgment upon them and a call of repentance to the cities and the nations. And it was repeat uh, throughout history. The historical impact uh, of the church on the church and culture, one of them being, without going into a, a lot of uh, detail that you might not be interested in at all, is that the Renaissance is really uh, an emergence from the disaster that happened in the plagues and in the Black Death. And during the time period where millions died and the church was flawed and struggling and, and priests dying and all the uh, 
you know, philosophers and writers and songwriters and playwriters and everybody trying to make sense of life and the world. Out of that, in the late uh, century, 1350, 1400, 1500, right up to 1600, it marked the end of an era. Uh, in Italy, where the Renaissance began and then spread, its impact was profound uh, as it resulted in a wide-ranging social, economic, uh, cultural, and religious changes. That's why we call it the Renaissance. The word Renaissance means rebirth. And so there was a rebirthing that began to take place in society, in the economic side of society, in culture, and in the religious aspects of society. These changes led to what we call the emergence of the Renaissance. And this is one of the greatest times of art and architecture, uh, literature, uh, translation of books, writing of books. And it was also one of the greatest times uh, during the 15th and 16th century of a God upsurge, a reseeking of God, a renewing of church dedication. Society in large numbers uh, were swept uh, by the religious fervor of that day. So the Renaissance was a renaissance of the arts and architecture and literature and all those things and culture, but it was also a rebirthing in the church. Something was going on in the church. Something was happening in the religious realms, and those realms were finding people very sensitive to God and very sensitive to life change. So the 16th century renaissance uh, gave birth to many great thinkers and writers and, and artists and creators, uh, da Vinci, Michelangelo, uh, these kind of people uh, began to surf in the cultural areas of society. And the theologians and the writers uh, began to surface, uh, especially some in Italy. We, we see uh, Savarola, uh, who was one of the great uh, theologians and evangelists of that day who did a lot of writing that actually uh, began to be the foundation for the Reformation and the turning of a society toward God was men like that in the 1491, 1454. The Gutenberg Bible was translated, and so now you have a translation of a Bible. You have preachers. Uh, the church is being built. Cathedrals are being built all over. Artwork are depicting God. Michelangelo and Da Vinci and these guys have a faith in the Almighty, and, and they're painting the Davids and, and the statues and the things that are taking place right now in the society during this Renaissance. It's a great upsurge of everything. There's a great feeling, a great attitude. There's there's a great response to life and how life should be lived. Out of that comes what we call the Reformation. The Reformation started long before Martin Luther, but the Reformation is given a date in 1517 when Martin Luther, the priest who was frustrated and coming out of a church that had been flawed and published so many wrong writings, Martin Luther comes up with his 99 Theses on uh, how the church should operate in grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, and the message of faith in 1517 with Martin Luther began to be a mighty uh, outpouring of uh, a message that people could turn to and people could uh, find God, not just in the sacraments and all the ways the church had written out and buying their salvation. Martin Luther was the beginning of a Protestant Reformation. If you want to put a date 
on the Protestant Reformation. You would put a date, 1517, with Martin Luther, and as he began to move forward, he began to spread the uh, Reformation theology. The Reformation theology began to take place in writings, and then other people, uh, John Calvin's and all these other theologians began to surface, and they began to house a new theology. And that theology had a lot to do with faith and grace, and it did lean toward Calvinists, Calvinism, and Calvinist Tulip, his five main points of Calvinism, had a great effect upon the theologians of that day, as did uh, uh, Martin Luther and others who had uh, thinking patterns along the areas of the eternal and the eternal effect of God upon people and their calling. All these things began to surface, and what was happening is the foundations were being laid for a revival. And a revival would come out of an awakening. An awakening would be first in the church. Always an awakening happens first in the church before it goes to the world. God has to awaken the church, purify the church, cleanse the church, give the church a right message, make sure that the church has the right trumpet to blow, make sure that there is a spiritual revolution, a reviving, a power of grace and faith in Christ in the church, that they can preach to the society around them. So the great awakenings that will come out of this great time period with Martin Luther, and Martin Luther begins to preach faith, and other people begin to take it up in the 15th and 16th century. By the 17th century, we are having broad-scale revivals and broad-scale awakenings. And those awakenings found their way to America, and America became a nation that had uh, several awakenings and revivals that resulted in changes in the church, outside the church, and society. I would like to take up in the next podcast what it takes to have an awakening and a revival, and what would be the setting for a revival to take place in America in this coming day right now in this 21st century, as we move into a new time period, a new time period in the church, outside the church, and the message of the church and how the church should be structured and function, it is all of great importance right now. And so I am going to take this time uh, and do a few podcasts right in a row that you can listen to and put these pieces together on the Renaissance, which was just finished, and a little bit on the Reformation, I at least gave you the beginning points of the Protestant Reformation. And I want to move now into the awakenings. Uh, there's five clear awakenings. There could be seven if you looked at it different ways, but I'm going to give you the five historical. And then the revivals that come out of that. And what is the nature of revival? What's the nature of re revival us, the messengers of revival? And how would revival affect the church first before it affected the culture? What would be the message of this revival in our day and age and how we would put that forth in Christ alone, grace alone, and in the gospel alone and how that would affect the society that right now is so knocked around with so many philosophies and ideologies. Where does the church fit into all this? I pray that you'll join me on the next podcast. Thank you for listening. And if you can please share on social media and your friends about the podcast and uh, leave a, a rate and review on iTunes would help them uh, review this and put it out to a broader audience. That would be fantastic. And so we'll be looking at revival. What is revival? Why is it needed? When does it occur? Should we expect it? 
What are some of the characteristics? How can you be a carrier? Don't miss the next exciting episode of the Frank DiMazio Leadership Podcast. This is Frank DiMazio saying, have a very wonderful day.